isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph in his dreams. And one day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life. And even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know, but Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now back home, Joseph's brother had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it, Joseph, when they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around him. Don't be afraid, he said. Behind what you were doing underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. Lord, we come to you this morning as we prepare for a time where we're going to open up your word. Lord, I pray that you would prepare my heart. Lord, I pray that you would allow that your word to speak this morning. Lord, that through the story of Joseph, through this, this big, long story, Lord, that we would just be pointed towards um, the ultimate story. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of the people that are sitting in the room. Lord, I pray that anything that, that I say, Lord, would fall to the side. But Lord, what you would have said, Lord, I pray that it would, that it would stick. Lord, that we would understand that we would be changed by your word. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to start a new series. You can see um, the image this morning, the stories we tell. So some of you may be asking, why are you reading out of a little kid's book? Well, let me explain. This morning, I want us to talk about one of the stories from the Old Testament that we love to tell our kids. One of the stories that we find just so much joy in to read and work through and see the different parts going on and then see the awesome ending of this story. So what I wanna do is I wanna walk this whole story, the breadth of the story. We're not gonna dig down into one individual part this morning. We're gonna look at, at the big story. And so I know typically we would find one passage and we'd spend a bunch of time there. It's not what's gonna happen this morning. It was different preparing for this. 
caught me a little off guard, but I think there's a lot for us if we'll step back and take a look at the breadth of Scripture. So I want to get us in the, in, the, in the right frame of mind. So to start, where are we at in history? We have Abraham, who was Abraham's son. We had Isaac, right? Isaac's son was Jacob and Esau. So Jacob's son was Joseph, plus 11 more. But Joseph was the favorite. So as we begin this morning, as we talk about the story and the breadth of this story, I want y'all to kind of sink in with me into this story. Get lost in this story. Feel the weight of the, the characters and what they feel. I want you to get, get caught up in what's going to happen in this story. So again, Joseph, the favorite son, we begin there. We see Joseph starts with some of these dreams that we talk about. And these dreams are dreams where basically he's in the middle and all his brothers are worshiping him. They're bowing down before him. Can you imagine what the brothers feel right now? The brothers already know he's the favorite. He's got this robe of many colors and now he's going to have the audacity to stand up and say, you're going to bow down to me. I had a dream about it. Are you kidding me? Many of you have siblings in the room. Many of you can understand the, the cockiness that is the little brother, the just unbelievable I'm better than you that is the older sister you can feel what the brothers are feeling right now right just frustrated at the fact that he would even talk like that or that he would get all these things just handed to him how could he be the favorite so that's where we're at in this story that's that's the feeling that we have the brothers feeling right now so where are we going well at some point brothers are off taking care of flocks and Jacob says to Joseph he says here I'm going to send you out go find your brothers and check on them so he sends, them, he sends them out. He goes to Shechem where he thought they were. They weren't there. A guy says, go to Dothan. So that's where we're gonna pick up. That's where we're gonna read to start this morning. It's gonna be Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, if you wanna turn with me. But again, think in with me. What are the brothers feeling? Think about Joseph's mindset this morning. What does this feel like? So verse 18, they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come on, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will, have, then we will say that fierce, a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hand or restore him to his brothers. They sh so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So now let's, let's get back in this story. What's going on? Let's feel what Joseph felt for a minute. Joseph has come out to find his brothers, to check on his brothers, to give a report to his father as he was told to do. He was being obedient, doing what his, his dad had told him to do. He shows up 
We already have got a little feeling of what the brothers were feeling. They were fed up with him. They didn't want anything more to do with him. So much they said, let's just kill this guy. I mean, we got 11 other brothers. It's fine. It had gotten this bad. This wasn't a typical family dispute. They said, let's just kill this guy. I'm so sick of having to put up with him in the house and listen to these dreams. Let's just kill this guy. But one of the brothers, selfishly, actually, said, no, don't kill him. Throw him into a pit. So we throw him into a pit. We, we move on forward. What they end up doing, they end up selling him to, as a slave. They said, no, it's better not to kill him because we don't get anything out of that. Let's just sell him as a slave so that we can at least make some money off of him. So Joseph, now, what do we feel? Where's Joseph at? Betrayed by his own family? Rejected as a brother? despised so much so that they would sell him as a slave thinking that that's still going to end up in an early death for Joseph. So the story as we continue what happens. Well, Joseph gets sold to these slave traders and ultimately ends up in Egypt where he gets sold again to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Some of you have probably already heard this story before, but if you haven't, what happens is Potiphar recognizes that, that, that Joseph here is a good guy that he works hard, that he does what he's told to do, so much so that Potiphar begins begins putting him in charge of some things. And what he recognizes is that the things that Joseph touches, the things that he puts his hands on, are just blessed. And they succeed and they go well. So what does Potiphar do? Well, he keeps stacking stuff on. Before you know it, Potiphar is the right hand, I mean, Joseph is the right hand man to Potiphar. Everything in the house, everybody in the house reports to Joseph. So, Potiphar's wife recognized Joseph was a young and handsome man. So much so that she began to come on to him. She said, lie with me, Joseph. Joseph said, no, 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 no. There's nothing in this house that I want that I can't have that, that Potiphar wouldn't give me. The only thing in this house that he wouldn't is you because you're his wife. I can't, no, I will not. So again, Joseph remained faithfully, did the right thing. He did not commit adultery. So we see this story play out. Joseph does the right thing. He's obedient. He does not sin, at least in that way. So what happens? Well, a little while later, Joseph makes a decision that probably wasn't the wisest decision. Might not have been intentional, but he ended up in the house with just Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife tried again and grabbed onto his robe. Joseph knew he was in a bad situation, so he threw off the robe and took off. He said, I'm out of here. Potiphar's wife, probably being embarrassed and just ashamed of that situation in all reality, screamed out, decided she was gonna make up a story so that he would pay for embarrassing her like this. When the other servants come in, she makes up this story and says, Joseph tried to come on to me. And when I screamed, he ran in fear because he knew. What did Potiphar do? Potiphar said, you're gonna, you're gonna steal my wife from me? I blessed you like this and you're gonna try to take my wife? Probably not knowing they were false accusations. What did he do? He threw him into prison. So where are we at? Well, Joseph at home, growing up a relatively normal kid in a good household, doing what he's supposed to be doing, being obedient, but being an annoying little brother, Right? but to the point that they would sell him as a slave, feeling despised, rejected. 
But then what happens? Well, he gets in a situation that actually works out to be all right. He's put as basically head of the household in Potiphar's house. And then he gets falsely accused of sins that he did not commit. Now he's going to be punished for someone else's sins. So we continue on and what happens to Joseph? Well, he goes to the prison in a very similar situation to what we saw at Potiphar's house. He's obedient. He does the right things. He works hard at the things he's given. And ultimately, the keeper of the jail recognized exactly what Potiphar recognized, that everything that this guy touches, it turns to gold, if you will. Everything goes well that I give this guy. So, so what does he do? Well, he says, here, take more, take more, take more. And so by, by, by the time we reach to the part we're about to read, basically, Joseph has the run of the prison. One of the inmates has the run of the prison. It even says that if the prison keeper gave watch to Joseph of inmates, he didn't worry about him. That's how trustworthy Joseph was. That's what, how well Joseph was doing and what he was called to do. Well, at some point or another, the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, got frustrated and said, my cupbearer, my baker, you're going to prison. We don't get a lot of detail of exactly what happened, but it doesn't matter. They end up in jail. They're there with Joseph and, and they come to Joseph with dreams. For some reason or another, they come to Joseph with two separate dreams that each one had had. Joseph interprets those dreams. He says to the baker, he says, listen, what's gonna happen is in three days, you're gonna be taken out of here and you're gonna see Pharaoh. But what's gonna happen is you're gonna be hung from a tree. But then to the cupbearer, he says, hey, in three days, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be taken out of here. You're gonna see Pharaoh, but you're gonna be restored to your position as the cupbearer. Before Joseph finishes, though, he says to the cupbearer, he says, hey, listen, when you get out of here, remember me. Remember the faithful man that I was, that I was serving well, even in the midst of a situation and being punished for something I didn't deserve. Remember the fact that I interpreted your dreams. Remember me, get me out of here. Well, three days later, what happens? Exactly what Joseph had predicted. The baker is taken out of the prison, but ultimately hung. The cupbearer is restored to his position, but he forgot Joseph. Again, Joseph probably, again, at this point of just, are you serious? Just let down, broken, again, punished for things that he did not do not remembered despite the fact that he had just predicted exactly what would happen to them, despite showing a miracle by being able to interpret a dream, he's forgotten, rejected, despised. But finally, a while later, uh, the, the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, would have a couple of dreams one night. And they would bother him to the point that they would say, that he would say, listen, go get the magicians Go get the wise men. Go get anybody. I need someone to come and interpret these dreams for me. They're bothering me this bad. I've got to know. What does this mean? Where are we at? I, I, I can't stand it. So he brings them in. He brings in magicians, wise men. They all come in. And they begin hearing this story. And nobody can give them an interpretation. At least not a right one. And so he's at this point of desperation. He's like, I've got to have somebody to interpret this dream. And finally, it clicks in the cupbearer's head. And what he says is, I remember my transgressions. That's what the cupbearer says, according to scripture. He remembered all of a sudden, I had promised this guy Joseph that I would remember him and I've forgotten him. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, listen, hold on. I've got the guy. 
You, you, you remember, you, you sent me to prison. You sent me with the baker. Well, I had a dream and so did the baker. And this guy, Joseph, he interpreted the dream. And three days later, exactly as how he, how he predicted, you hung the baker and you restored me in my position. I've got the guy for you. So Pharaoh, being desperate and wanting just some kind of answer about this dream is desperate enough that he would go to the prison and pull somebody out of the prison to interpret this dream. Apparently, he'd asked everybody. So what happens? Well, Joseph comes. Pharaoh shares this dream. And then Joseph begins interpreting. He says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have seven years of famine. And when I say famine, I mean, we're not going to have enough food for people to eat. There's going to be a ton of... There's going to be seven years of famine, but not before there's going to be seven years of plenty. So here's what needs to happen. You need to be storing up during the seven years of famine, so, or during the seven years of plenty, so that we have food during the seven years of famine. You can save these people by preparing beforehand. And so, number one, Pharaoh believed him so much so that all of his aides and the people that would be directly under Pharaoh began saying, well, who is going to be in charge of this? Because this task was no easy task. And this was a task that was going to be given to somebody that they would be the one that would ultimately save the people of Egypt and the surrounding areas. So what does he say? He says, I see no other man wiser. God has obviously blessed this man. Let's put Joseph there. So where are we? Joseph, despised, rejected, betrayed by his own family, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison to pay for a sin that he did not commit, remains there, remains faithful. Now he's going to be raised to sit at the right hand of the king. He was going to be in charge of saving the people of Egypt. So as this story goes on, what happens? Well, we have seven years of plenty in Egypt. We have seven years of plenty of food and plenty of grain. And so he is in charge of working all this out to make sure that they have enough stored up so that during the seven years of famine, there's food for the people. So we see, finally, guess who doesn't have food? Jacob and his family. The very brothers that had betrayed him Jacob says to the brothers, he says, you've got to go to Egypt and you've got to get us food. We're going to starve. So the brothers take off all but one. They go to Egypt, they get there. And guess who is in charge of taking the money and handing out the food? Well, it's Joseph. He's the one in charge of it all. They show up, they don't recognize Joseph. He was a 17-year-old when he got thrown in the pit. And so he's, he's a good bit older now and they don't even recognize him. And so they walk up to him, but Joseph knows who they are. He recognizes them immediately. And Joseph actually plays a little bit of a trick on him and actually says, kind of questions him and says, wait, 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 no, you're spies from another land. You've only come to see the suffering that we're in so that you can overtake us. I don't trust you. He said, in order for me to believe you are who you say you are, you're gonna have to go bring that little brother that's not here. And they say, no, 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 we're not. That's not us. He said, listen, if you want more food after this trip, you're gonna have to bring the little brother. And mind you, they're only in year two of this famine. So they're gonna have to go back. They're gonna have to at some point bring little brother. Or they're not gonna make it. 
So what do they do? They head on their way, but not before they head on their way, the money that they had brought to pay, they had paid and then ultimately Joseph had it snuck back in their sacks. So now they've left with food and the money that they paid for the food with. But they go back, they go all the way to the Jacob and they realize that they've got the money, but even more than that, they say to Jacob, they say, look, we're in a bad spot and, and the Lord of the land has said that we will not receive any more food unless we take Benjamin. Well, this can tell you how much of a favorite both Benjamin and Joseph were. At this point, Jacob basically doesn't even claim any of the other sons as sons. He says, you've already lost Joseph for me and now you're gonna take Benjamin, my other son? I will have nothing left. That's how much of a favorite those two were. But finally, after some time, Jacob realizes we have no other options. We are desperate. We're we're helpless without that food. We have nothing to offer. If he says, bring your son, I have to bring that son. So what does he do? He sends the brothers back. And this time he sends Benjamin with him. They go back, they go see Joseph and remind you all of their money had been put back in their bag. So this time they bring twice as much because they're scared. What are they gonna be accused of? They're gonna be accused of stealing all of the food and not paying for it. And so they are scared to death. They show up. And the first encounter we actually have of Joseph and the brothers, what happens is the brothers actually come to him and get on their knees. It says they fell prostrate before him. The dream that Joseph had told them was coming true right here. And they realized that they were at a place of helplessness because in all reality, let's think about this money. We have the money of, uh, of 11 brothers and, and he had enough food and, and had been getting money from all of the people of Egypt. This man did not need their money. No, they came with nothing. So where, where are we? Joseph is ruling and reigning over the land, has the salvation for these people has the food that they need to survive for the next five years and they come to him and they just get on their knees because they know they have nothing to offer that he needs. They are scared to death of this man because they know he holds their life in his hand. So a little bit more happens and ultimately Joseph actually says, I'm keeping your younger brother because he stole something from me Judah comes back and says, no, 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 you can't. You don't understand. If I go back to my father and say that I've lost Benjamin as well, he'll just die. He can't handle this. You can't do this. Don't, don't take this brother. Keep me instead, but don't keep Benjamin. Let him return. My father's gonna literally die. Finally, we're gonna pick up chapter 45. That's where we're picking up is right there. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers cannot answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you for there yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Joseph looks his brothers in the eyes. He's so overcome with just love and affection for his brothers. He says, no, 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 listen. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be afraid. I love you. I want to save you. Go get your father. Bring him back. Reign and rule with me in Egypt. Enjoy the inheritance of the king. Just a second later, Pharaoh actually tells them, he says, no, no, you come back. You're gonna enjoy all the spoils that are mine. You're gonna enjoy the best of the best. You're gonna have the best land. You're gonna enjoy all the best things. In fact, don't even worry about your chariots and carts or whatever. Look, you're gonna have the best here. You're not gonna need them. So, this story, we've just walked through the breadth of this story. We've seen all of this stuff play out. We hadn't talked about details this morning of a lot of things. And so I would encourage you throughout the week, go back and read, find some of those details, learn it, listen. But this morning, why is this a story that we love to tell our kids? Because if we talk about this story, we can feel the weight of what's going on, right? You can feel the weight of the brothers as they come to Joseph and they're on their knees knowing they have nothing to offer to their brother that they have betrayed. They have nothing to bring to him that he wants or needs. You can feel the weight of their sin bearing down on them. See, a, a lot of times I think what we do in a story like this is it's our natural reaction to, as we read this story, put ourselves in these stories, right? We love to do that. I love to be just overwhelmed by the story. And so what I do is when I read a story like that, I find who I want to be in that story. And so who do I want to be in this story? Well, I want to be Joseph, right? Who doesn't want to be Joseph ruling and reigning over all of Egypt, being the savior to all the people? But let's be honest with ourselves this morning. In this story, you or I are not Joseph. In this story, if we want to put ourselves in this story, let's talk about who we really are. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. If we want to dissect this story and try to put ourselves in it, the person or the people that we can play in this story, we have a few options. We can play the brothers, the ones that despised and rejected Joseph. We can play Potiphar's wife, the adulteress, the one who falsely accused Jesus, the one that put him in prison to pay for a sin that he didn't commit. Or we can be even lowlier than that. We can just be one of these Egyptians who has no hope. We can be one of the people that's not even included in the story. It doesn't matter. 
You can put yourself in any of those shoes and you need to understand that you're gonna be walking up to Joseph and you're gonna be doing this to Joseph going, I don't actually have anything you need, but I'm here. I need to be saved. I need the food that only you can provide at this point. That's the person you are in the story. So as we read this story, why is this a magnificent story? Why is this a story that we love so much? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't play the leading character. We don't play the part that anybody wants to be. We love this story because it's a picture of what we desperately need. And we can relate so well to the brothers and to Potiphar's wife and to the people of Egypt who had nothing. We can relate so well to that, even though we wouldn't want to admit it. This morning, the reason the story of Joseph and this this grand narrative that we see play out, the reason this story speaks to us, the reason that we would want to share it with our kids, the reason we would write storybooks about this story It's not because of the morality lesson we can learn about don't commit adultery. It's not because of, well, forgive others. It's, it's, It's not because don't treat your brother badly. That's not what it's about. No, it's about the fact that this was painting the picture of the Christ that was going to come. Because Joseph did great things. He provided salvation for a people so that they would not die of hunger, right? God used him so that, so that the people of Israel could even continue and ultimately so that Jesus could even come. But this is a picture of what Christ did for you and I. When he came, he lived a perfect life, was betrayed, rejected, despised by the very ones he came to save. He was falsely accused for sins that he did not commit. He didn't just spend some time in prison. No, he was put on a cross so that we could be saved and not saved from hunger for seven years. No, so that we could be saved eternally. He would be the bread of life. He would save us from eternal famine. He would save us from eternal damnation. This story speaks to us because we so desperately want to be saved from the wretched place that we are in. So this morning, believers in the room, What do we take from this? Because it's easy as we read this story, if we actually rightly place ourselves in in, in the position of the brothers coming here, knowing that you're a wretch, knowing that you're broken, falling, knowing that you have nothing that's needed by God. It's easy to place yourself in that now that we've seen it rightly. But here's what I don't want us to do. We don't wallow in that guilt and that shame. We don't just remain there. What does that do for us? Why do we even talk about that? We talk about that so that we can be blown away and just absolutely in awe of what Christ truly did on the cross. We talk about the shortcomings of who we are and the fallenness and brokenness, not so that we can wallow in shame and guilt, but so that we can rejoice in the cross of Christ. This morning, believers in the, one, in the room, the ones that have repented and believed, you get to celebrate the, this morning the fact that Jesus loved you enough despite of who you were, despite of the fact that you rejected him, despised him, betrayed him. He loved you enough to come and save you by dying on the cross. We celebrate that this morning. Believers in the room, rejoice in that. Don't wallow in your shame and guilt. Rejoice in who God is and what he has done and the greatness that is his plan and his story. There's another group in the room that is an unbeliever. And so for those of you in the room that maybe you've heard this story before, but you've always been Joseph in the story in your mind. Maybe some of you have heard some other stories and you've played the part that maybe now you're kind of seeing that that's not my part in that story. 
and the picture that's being painted in scripture, maybe I missed it. Maybe this morning you begin to see that the almighty God, the one that is the creator God that's in control of all, that, that maybe for a time you've thought that you were bringing him things. You were bringing him money. You were bringing him talents. You were bringing him time even. Maybe this morning you've been putting your faith, you've been believing in the fact that you have given. Therefore, of course, I deserve that food because I gave my money. Understand, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talents. Maybe some of you in the room have never heard this story. And maybe you're going, okay, so, wow. Let me just tell you, the, the scripture promises us that for those who repent and believe, they will be saved. So this morning, unbeliever in the room, repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you're going, I don't know what that looks like, I don't know where we're at. You know what, there are plenty of people after this service that would love to talk to you. We'll have a couple greeters out, out front. I'll be here. We've got elders that will be on stage at the end of the service. Please talk to somebody. Talk about what this looks like to enjoy the grace, the peace, the mercy that comes when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Because I don't have to wallow in my shame and guilt anymore. No, I get to rejoice in what Christ has done. I get to share in his inheritance. I get to rule and reign for forevermore with God on high. The last thing I want us to just hit on before we finish this morning. The last thing I want to make sure that we talk about, specifically to believers in the room again, we've seen this morning that we didn't dissect some small amount of scripture and try to pull out intimate details. No, what we did was we told the story of Joseph. We talked about this grand narrative of what Joseph's life looked like. And don't get me wrong, Joseph is not the one we compare ourselves to, but what do we do? We got to see also the story of the brothers who had been restored to Joseph. So, so let, let me challenge us this morning. God has used this story for me in my life to blow my mind this week. To bring me to a place where I understand where I'm really at. To just make me so much appreciate the love, the grace, the mercy that he showed for me on the cross. So this morning, what I'm going to challenge you with is I want to say, share your story. Because, because God is great and he is powerful and he is able to use that story to help better demonstrate what Christ did for that person on the cross. We don't share our story to brag about us. No, we share our story to point towards our shortcomings and ultimately God's grace. So believer in the room, share your story. Talk about what God has done for you. Talk about this life that you've lived of rejection, despising him and how he loved you so much that he would. As we go out of these doors, share the story that God has blessed you with. Tell these stories. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father, his brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished, even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good forgive the sins of the whole world. Lord, we come to you this morning. Broken, fallen understanding that, Lord, we have nothing to bring to you that you need. 
We come to you this morning, Lord, in awe and unbelief as to what in the world you could do with us. Lord, we're in awe of the fact that you loved us enough despite of who we are. Lord, we were your enemies. Lord God, we were the very ones that put you on the cross. Lord, despite of that, you loved us enough to send Jesus to come die on the cross on our behalf. Lord, you looked upon our sin and you punished Christ. You looked upon Christ's righteousness and you imputed it to us. Lord God, we come this morning thankful. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your willingness to die for me even though I didn't deserve it at all. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.